You want to see something really scary? Terrifying. Pretty scary shit. Yeah, pretty scary shit. I'm frightened. I'm very, very frightened. That sounds very scary. Scared shitless. Terrifying. Something terrifying. Disturbing. Scary. Scare me. Hello and welcome to the Fabish Factor Film Podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Fabish. He's a very scary guy. And this episode, I'm looking back to October 2020, where I was issued a challenge by one Rick Turner to select from a list of horror films to watch. I ended up watching 22 that month, and let's go through them from worst to best. All right, let's begin. Number 22, Arcade. Straight to video dumpster dive material about a killer video game. Picture the Matrix or Ready Player One made for less than the price of a bucket of chicken. And then directed by the guy who would cook said bucket of chicken. Can I take your order? Number 21, In the Mouth of Madness. Look, I'm sorry about the balls. It was a lucky shot, that's all. A John Carpenter horror mystery about an evil book. And like most John Carpenter movies, it did absolutely nothing for me. What? Number 20, Night of the Demons. You did remember to invite some cute boys to the party, I hope. Of course I did. And we're gonna scare the shit out of them. <laughs> a group of teenagers that look closer to 30 than they do to 17 have a Halloween party in a possessed house. Turns out everyone loves this movie, but... I don't know. I thought it sucked. Just dreadful acting in this movie, I felt. Come on, let's hang out. Yeah, eat a bowl of fuck. <laughs> I am here to party. Yeah. Me too. Just because one lame wuss wants to bail doesn't mean we ace this party. Awful. Bloody awful. Number 19, Ganja and Hess. The only perversions that can be comfortably condemned are the perversions of others. I will persist and survive without God's or society's sanction. A very experimental horror film from the world of black exploitation cinema, and it was just far too experimental for me to enjoy it. This is bizarre. God damn, this is bizarre. Number 18, A Cure for Wellness. Do you know what the cure for the human condition is? <laughs> Disease. Because only then is there hope for a cure. Gore Verbinski's mystery movie about a spa in Northern Europe that might be doing experiments on their customers. Insanely long and boring, even if it does look great, and have some great performances like from Jason Isaacs as the villain. Trust, Mr. Lockhart. Hmm? I mean, if we can't trust each other, then how can I help you? Number 17, Wolf Creek. Now, this little procedure is called making a head on a stick. On paper, I think this is a pretty great movie. A slasher movie where your slasher is Crocodile Dundee. That's not a knife. That's a knife. And I loved John Jurat's memorable performance as the killer. What did he actually do? Oh, I can tell you. But then... 
won't have to kill you. <laughs> but the first half of this movie is devoid of content, and the second half is relentlessly brutal, but in a way that was depressing rather than thrilling. That is depressing. Number 16, Vampire. A superb-looking black-and-white horror film from 1932, and the visuals are the reason to watch it, but for me, there just wasn't much else. Number 15, The Black Cat. Did you ever hear of Satanism, the worship of the devil, of evil? I persecuted the great modern priest of that ancient cult. And tonight, dark of the moon, the rites of Lucifer are celebrated. And if I'm not mistaken, he intends you to play a part in that ritual. A very important part. Maybe the shortest feature-length film I've ever seen, clocking in at 63 minutes. A doctor freed from a gulag visits his socialite friend with some tourists he met on the train, and turns out that these old friends are into some pretty sick cult shit. Halloween shit. Uh, very light on horror material, but some really good performances from horror icons Bella Lugosi and Boris Karloff. How dare that asshole bring up Karloff? Number 14, The Beyond. Woe be unto him who opens one of the seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world. I was gonna try and give like a quick line about the plot, but I don't think I could. It's that perplexing. It's New Orleans, there's zombies, monsters, possessed animals, and there's a scene that felt like it went on for 25 minutes where tarantulas eat a man, and it's the ultimate trigger for any arachnophobe. Directed by Lucio Fulci, it's the first movie I've seen of his, and you can tell it's made by Italians as opposed to anyone else. It's got style to spare, and it handles the horror moments so differently than most movies. Average horror movie is a guy thinking he hears a noise, goes to check it out for two minutes, and then after he thinks the coast is clear, a monster jumps out, kills him, and we cut away. In this movie, monster shows up, we linger on it, and the violence carries out for minutes and minutes. And it's not bad either, it's just certainly different. Uh, great makeup effects in this and some really awesome gore. Give me the gore details. Number 13, Tales from the Hood. Death. It comes in many strange packages. Hey man, I don't need to be hearing this, man. Kill that noise, man. Let's just get the shit. Don't worry. You'll get the shit. You'll be knee deep in the shit. Directed by Rusty Cundiff, who would later be one of the main directors of The Chappelle Show. I'm gonna tell you something about me, Joe Rogan, that you might not know. I smoke rocks. It's an anthology movie telling four tales of terror. There's a drug dealer haunted by the ghosts of the lives he destroyed, a racist politician beset by dolls possessed by the spirits of dead slaves, a child with voodoo powers battles the monster in his house, and the best story, and one that could have easily been its own film, is about a black rights activist who was murdered by racist cops who comes back from the dead for revenge. Uh, the first story is about the police, and that should have been this movie's closer since it's the best thing in the movie. But overall, it's, it's not bad. Great performance by Clarence Williams III as the host of this movie. Welcome to hell!
Number 12, Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight. Frights, camera, action. A highway warrior forever pursued by demons after his religious artifact holds up in a motel with some locals to try and make it through the night. Directed by Ernest Dickerson, who was Spike Lee's cinematographer for his early films like Malcolm X. Get your hand out of my pocket! And Do the Right Thing. You see this fucking place? I built this fucking place! With my bare fucking hands! And would later go on to do some great episodes of TV on shows like The Walking Dead or The Wire. Man, money ain't got no owners. Only spenders. It's presented as a Tales from the Crypt film for no good reason since it was never written as one. And having gotten into the HBO show recently, uh, I, can, I can vouch for this movie really having nothing in common with that wonderful ghoulish anthology show aside from these really nice uh, Crypt Keeper bookends. You call that well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do call it acting. Well, let me tell you something, pal. You're no Gory Cooper. You ain't even a Robert Deadford. Uh, this movie is basically from dusk till dawn without the skills of guys like Robert Rodriguez or Quentin Tarantino behind the camera. Don't you ever try and fucking run on us. Because I got six little friends and they can all run faster than you can. But it's the same movie. It's a bunch of people fighting off monsters for a night. Uh, great effects and a terrific cast with guys like William Sadler, Thomas Hayden Church. What's with the hostility, man? Jada Pinkett, CCH Pounder, Charles Fleischer. Do you mean to tell me that you could have taken your hand out of that cuff at any time? No, not at any time. Only when it was funny. <laughs> Dick Miller. And a very fun performance from Billy Zane as the villain. Fuck this cowboy shit. You fucking hold up, hold up, well then there, motherfuckers! Zane really is better than this movie deserves, frankly, and it's a shame his career fizzled out after Titanic because he should have done better. Has anyone ever told you how pretty you are? I, I know that sounds like a line. Lord knows I've used it, but I mean it. Number 11, Prince of Darkness. He was the guardian priest. Apparently he lived here for over 30 years. Once a week he would venture out for food. And every day, he opened this door. A John Carpenter movie I like that's not The Thing. That's the world gone topsy-turvy! Uh, it's basically The Thing again, only with the supernatural rather than aliens. Yeah, fuck you too! But it's a group of scientists trying to stop a demonic invasion via a portal to hell in a church basement. There's none of the camp aspect that I hate in John Carpenter movies, where the acting is over the top, or there's a lot of silliness, like in the Mouth of Madness. I want to see your supervisor! It's a serious horror film with good effects and a good cast. I've got a message for you, and you're not going to like it. Look at his chest. Ready for death. Christ. Number 10, A Tale of Two Sisters. Uh, a South Korean haunted house movie from Kim Ji-woon, who would later make one of the most extreme serial killer films I have ever seen with I Saw the Devil. That is fucked up. So this movie is certainly a different ballgame. Two sisters, after losing their mother, have to deal with their new wicked stepmother. Gorgeously filmed movie, much like I Saw the Devil, 
But where that movie went for the gore and the blood, this goes for more of the brooding tension and jump scares. And it is seriously frightening in places. That Asian style of horror with the women with super long black hair obscuring their faces. You know the drill. And then the story throws in twist upon twist in the second half and makes it pretty riveting to watch. Number nine, Trick or Treat. Halloween anthology movie that cuts back and forth in time to tell various horror stories happening in the small town. There's an old man battling a ghoulish child, a group of sunken child zombies, a, a school principal child killer, etc. Uh, dark as it gets, it's very light in tone generally from the guy who would later make another good holiday-themed horror movie, Krampus. I just want to say I'm sorry for thinking you're such a spineless dick all these years. There's a great character in this Jack, who's this little kid in a scarecrow outfit who makes a couple of appearances throughout the movie. Great image. There's one, And there is one sequence in particular, um, a way one of our stories wraps up, that is seriously one of the most jaw-droppingly shocking things I've ever seen in a film. And a shiny gold piece to whoever sees that coming. My, my, one big Number eight, the people under the stairs. I'm tired of fucking around. So either put the gun down now or kiss your ass goodbye, boy. Wouldn't be a proper horror movie list without some Wes Craven. And this is the weirdest Wes Craven movie I have seen so far, which is saying something. He's sick fucks. He's seen one too many movies. Now, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos for creative Some thieves, with a young boy they bring along, break into a house they think has some valuables, and instead find out the owners are a pair of psychopathic killers holding a girl hostage and have a mass of mutants living in the cellar. Weirder still is this movie is partially based on a true story. You gotta be fucking kidding. Uh, more disturbing than actually scary, this is a good Wes Craven movie with some solid writing and acting. A pair of memorable villains played here by uh, Everett McGill and Wendy Roby, who of course were Ed and Nadine in Twin Peaks. I'm going to have the world's first 100% quiet runner. Well, I'm real sorry, Nadine. Ed, you make me sick! And the premise of this kid trapped in a house with psychopaths trying to escape I think the great thriller Don't Breathe owes a lot to this movie. My name is Ruby Williams, and I represent the association of people who have been unjustly evicted, exploited, and generally fucked over. What? Number seven, Ghost Watch. The program you're about to watch is a unique live investigation of the supernatural. It contains material which some viewers may find to be disturbing. Parkinson hosts a live news report about a haunted house in England. Uh, technically not a movie since it was produced and aired on television, but this was something else. Actually aired as a sort of prank on the BBC Halloween 1991 where there was no warning or talk that it was fake. No creaking gates, no gothic towers, no shutter windows. Yet for the past 10 months this house has been the focus of an astonishing barrage of supernatural activity. 
It's one of the best faux documentary type films I've seen. Parkinson is great, playing it straight, talking to experts about the occult and the family of the house. And we cut to the people on the scene in the house, and that's where the effects kick in. And they're just subtle enough where I'll bet if I was watching this live on television, I wouldn't have much reason to doubt it. But even still, watching it as a horror film, it's so well done and genuinely terrifying in spots. Could you do something? <gasps> Susie. Stop it! Stop it, Susie! Number six, Society. kid having disturbing dreams about monsters is convinced his family is involved in some kind of incestuous cult and tries to prove it. This is the first film by Brian Yuzna, who would next direct Bride of the Reanimator, which is the first movie I ever saw that made me lose my appetite. Make a note of it, Dan! Tissue rejection! Uh, this starts as a mystery movie about a secret society and then a bit of a psychological thriller where our hero might be imagining all of this and it's well written and acted. But then in the final act, that's when the effects by Screaming Mad George show up and holy shit. Mary, mother of God. This shit can't be real. Some of the most disgusting and fucked up creature effects I have ever scene. Well, now that is some fucked up shit. Made all the more freaky by how funny the movie suddenly gets in this section. Well, son, I guess you're right. I am a butthead. <laughs> hey, 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 Bill. I could describe some of it, and I just still couldn't do it justice. I can say we see a bunch of people merged together into a giant ball of flesh, but that needs to be seen to be believed. I saw better films on this list, but for sheer unforgettableness, this movie and had to be higher on the list. You will see something you'll never ever see again in your life. Number five, Prevenge. Don't get too cocky. You'll stand out from the crowd. Remember who's the mastermind. You wouldn't have done it without me, would you? Would you? Written and directed by and starring Alice Lowe. This is a psychological horror movie about a single pregnant woman who was convinced her unborn child is telling her to kill. Alice Lowe, who was pregnant while she was filming this, is a proper triple threat. This movie is so well written and directed and she truly gives a great performance. It's the slasher movie, uh, very violent, but it's also a black comedy taking this satirical look at how the world views pregnant women. You're insane. I am a working mother. It is not easy meeting your kids' demands these days, you know? This movie would make a great double feature with uh, We Need to Talk About Kevin, which was another great film about motherhood. Mommy was happy before little Kevin came along. Did you know that? Number four. Raw. This is going to knock your socks off. A girl starts her first year at veterinary school 
with her sister, who's a senior, and she goes through a rigorous hazing ritual. Very, very rigorous. You have no idea. By far the most fucked up movie I've seen in all of 2020. It takes a lot to shock me. A lot. And this movie did just that every couple minutes. Look at me and see that I'm dead serious. Raw is a movie about cannibalism and has some of the most gruesome imagery I have ever seen to the point of going beyond exploitation and just flat out becoming a geek show. It's very well acted, written and directed, but that's not what stands out here. What stands out is the image of, say, someone gnawing on a finger like it's a dim sum chicken foot. And that's one of the lighter moments in the movie. That's funny. This is one of those movies where I could describe in detail the gory aspects of this film, and there's just no way I could do it justice. This is a movie you do not want to watch while you're, say, eating some barbecue. Number three, spring. Are you a vampire, werewolf, zombie, witch, or alien? Are you scared of me? Yeah. But explain it to me. An American on the run comes to Italy where he meets a German girl and they fall in love. Turns out the girl might be involved in some... Carnivorous lunar activities. If Before Sunrise was a horror movie, it would be spring. Loving someone and being loved means so much to me. This is my favorite kind of horror movie, really, where you can take out all the horror elements, and it would still be a great film because of the script and the performances. A pair of excellent performances by Lou Taylor Pucci and Nadia Hilker, who have that kind of romance movie chemistry you need to make a movie like this work. Are you gonna rob me? Nah, you look poor. Well, I'm not gonna carry drugs up my ass for you or your boss. Go out with me tomorrow night. No. Because you're a hooker. Because I don't date. This is a fucked up act you have. But the horror elements in this movie are outstanding. The creature effects, practical and digital, are just jaw-dropping. Rick Baker quality work here. Without giving too much away, the awesome thing is this woman never changes into the same thing twice. At first, I thought, okay, it's a vampire movie. Quick! We have to kill the boy! How'd you know he's a vampire? He's a vampire? Ah! And then in the next scene, it's more like a werewolf type thing. Stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. Beware the moonlets. And then it just keeps going like that. It's a love story punctuated with some memorable horror moments and makes for a great watch. Evan, I'm... I really think you're great, but I'm not giving up a journey for a guy I just met a week ago. I know. I, I don't mean to sound like a selfish dick, but is there a way? Number two, Perfect Blue. A pop star in Japan quits her hit group to start an acting career, and her number one fan would rather she didn't. This is an anime psychological thriller, and a stalker movie, and a drama about the dark side of show business, and it handles all of this material superbly. It's like a mix of Black Swan. Come on! The foot are like a spider spinning a whip. Attack it! Attack it! Come on! And Mulholland Drive. No! I Banda! It is all a tape. 
done as a Japanese anime. It's a very unpleasant movie, mixing the horrific and the tragic. Like, it's one thing to have a killer after our heroine, but we also have to deal with the heartbreak of watching her have to film a rape scene to further her career. So well made as this meta story where she's filming a TV murder mystery about a stalker while she's being stalked. So whenever we cut to her, it kind of takes a, a minute to tell if we're dealing with the plot or the plot within the plot. I know who I am. I'm a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. This is outstanding animated film. And number one, Lake Mungo. I don't know why it's important, like how it helps people like dealing with the loss, like making up stories about ghosts or whatever. This is an Australian faux documentary following the death of a young woman and how she may be haunting her family. By far the scariest film I've seen in this challenge all year. Uh, this is the kind of movie where I kind of had to adjust my gaze and I wanted to look away from, you know, with a, that dread of an impending scare. Chicken shit, that's what it is. Uh, it's always strange seeing a fake documentary that's not going for laughs and instead as serious as a heart attack. And to make that work, it better be good. And thankfully it is. The acting and writing and directing in this movie is so real. They really went the extra mile to make it feel like a true documentary about real people. Nothing is exaggerated. I just couldn't bring myself to identify Alice's body. She'd been underwater all that time and it... I guess it's not how I, um... I didn't want to remember her in that way. And scarier is the horror side isn't exaggerated either. It's all these shots in the middle of the night where there's like a face in a reflection and it's not a demon face, something monstrous. It's just, it's just that it's the face of someone that we know to be dead and it's scary as hell every time. <laughs> and the movie works so well because they always keep the drama of the peaks at the forefront, the tragic side of this family wishing they could see their daughter or sister again and the terror of wishing she was at peace. This is a damn good horror picture. Sometimes, you know, I just forget that she's, she's not coming back. I forget. And there it is, all 22 horror pictures I blazed through for this challenge in October 2020. My thanks to Rick Turner and the members of the Fabish Factor Film Group on Facebook for coming up with this list of films. You can find other episodes of the Fabish Factor Film Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, and you can find more in-depth reviews of each of the films I mentioned in this episode on my Letterboxd page, that's letterboxd.com slash fabishfactor. Thanks for listening. Midnight were the stars and you Midnight and a rendezvous